Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church for All Nations. My name is Pastor JF, and I'm just honored. My wife and I co-lead uh, this church and with an incredible dream, dream team and so many great friends that make the dream happen here. So I just want to thank you for being here today. However you got here, we are honored that you would spend just a portion of your weekend with us. And how many of you are excited about this weather we got going on and moving into? It's like... Man, I, I, I saw it's going to be like close to 85 degrees next weekend. So, man, I feel like summer is here, but I don't want to jinx it, right? I don't want to jinx it. So it's the beginning of May. It is, for those of you that are into this, happy Cinco de Mayo. I don't know. Is there anyone that's into Cinco de Mayo? There's a few of you out there. I know uh, uh, when Ash and I were on, uh, we were associates at a church in Los Angeles, L.A. takes Cinco de Mayo pretty seriously, Okay. And so uh, they kept us up all night every year on Cinco de Mayo. So I don't think we go that hard in Tacoma, but, but those of you that are going to be having your guacamole after this, man, I wish I could be with you. So anyway, uh, have a phenomenal afternoon doing that. But hey, we're continuing our series today entitled Better. Someone say better. 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 And we've really been looking at where Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Another translation says that I came to give you life and actually life more abundantly. And we've been talking about what does it look like as followers of Jesus to tap into what he's talking about right there. Because I don't know if you're like me, I want what he has for me. And how many of you know that most of the time when he's talking about abundance, that's not necessarily a Ferrari or a mansion. You know, it's not necessarily season tickets to the Seahawks, which I'm all open for. Bring it, bring it my way, I'm down. But when Jesus talks about this fullness of life, this abundance of life, he's referring to when you truly tap in to who you know you were created to be. When you wake up every morning like on assignment, when you can't go to sleep at night because you gotta be awake, uh, you're living life to the fullest that he has for you. And I want that, I want that in my own life. And so uh, we've been talking about what it looks like. And we've been breaking it down. Last week, um, Ashley brought a phenomenal teaching on um, how to have better relationships. And she even broke that down a little bit more and talked about what it looks like to have better romantic relationships when it comes to marriage and, and dating. And she talked about what it looked like to have awesome friendships and, and, and relationships with your boss and your coworkers. And so relationships are a hot topic in the church. So we talked about what that looks like when the Lord gets involved in our relationships. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to have a better prayer life. I don't know if you're like me. Wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you like to hear God's voice in a mightier way in your life? And so we're going to talk about what that looks like to really tune in to what he's saying. And today I want to talk about a subject that last year alone, Americans invested $200 billion into. Would you like to hear what it is? Emotional health. Emotional health. Our society takes this subject very, very seriously. And so today for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about from a biblical perspective what it looks like to have better emotional health in our lives. I want that. I want to get better in this area. 
And the scriptures all through it talk about how we can have better emotional health in our life, better mental health in our lives and what that looks like. And so we're going to be looking at some scripture here. But listen, all of us, we say this very frequently, we're all on a journey. And whether you're at one spectrum of your journey of faith or the other or everywhere in between, your journey is important and it's valid. So wherever you tap into that, you, wherever you're at, start from there. You don't have to get all of this in one service, all right? Just start and take steps towards everything that the Lord has for you. And so with that said, we all deal with emotional health. S some of you are in this room today and just controlling it, controlling it is a big issue in your life. Others of you in this room, just expressing emotion is a big deal. In fact, I, I, I love watching my kiddos um, learn about their own emotional health for like the first time. And how many of you know that kids are a bit dramatic? Then, well, I'm not going to go that far because there's some pretty dramatic adults too. Um, <laughs> but how many of you know that kids tend to like show it a little bit more? It's, it's beautiful weather and it's, it's baseball season. And so my kiddos, my, my Israel, she's seven and my son Fulton, he's four. We were in the backyard a couple days ago and, and I was doing the old, you know, dad flow, like underhand pitch with the wiffle ball, you know, that, that whole thing. And so Izzy's got the bat, you know, and, and, you know, I'm like, okay, turn this way. And so we're doing the whole, I'm kind of helping her through it. And she's all, you know, fired up. And, and of course the bat's pink, you know, so that's problematic for Fulton, but he's a team player. And so, so here we are and, and Fulton's kind of standing over here. And so I said, okay, guys, we're going to take turns hitting the ball and, and I'm going to teach you different things. And, and so uh, Fulton's like, okay, dad, you know, and he's just like, you know, like all into it. And so Izzy's up to bat. And so I pitch it to her and she just takes a big cut and just whiffs, you know, like, oh, and that's okay. Throw it back to me. And so she throws it back and Fulton goes, that's okay, Izzy, you know. And so, so, so we, you know, I'm back up on the, on the mound, you know, and whole thing, a big wind up, you know, and just back under there. This time she kind of, she kind of makes contact, kind of dribbles down the side there. And I was like, that's awesome, you know, and Fulton's like, yeah, it's awesome, Izzy. And she gets the ball and throws it back to me. I'm like, okay, let's do it again. And Fulton over here, he says, can I have a turn? Can I have a turn, Izzy? Right? And so I said, wait your turn, buddy. You're going to get your shot. I'm going to work with Izzy right now. And so pitch it again. This time she just lights one up, just takes off, you know, and I'm like, wow. And so I'm freaking out like, you're awesome, kid. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, you're awesome. He's like, can I have a ton? Can I please have a ton? And you can see he's starting to get real like agitated. He's like, can, can I have a ton, dad? Can I have a ton? I'm like, just calm down, man. So finally I said, okay, here we go. Izzy. I'm, so I'm just like, he's like starting to lose it. So I, I one more time pitch and she cranks another one. At this point, Fulton freaks out, runs over, rips the bat out of her hand and takes off running about 40 yards away. And he's like, I want a turn. It's my turn. And I said, man, well, that's not the way how to, that's not, you know, that's not how you do it. But I mean, okay, you can have a turn now. And I'm like, all right, come over. He's like, no, you come over here. You know, like, like, no. I, and he just wasn't having it. And so Izzy, she's like, okay, Fulton, well, we're going to play Frisbee. And there's a Frisbee laying over on the side. She goes over to pick up the Frisbee. Fulton drops the bat and makes a V-line, snatches up the Frisbee. He's like, my turn, you know. And, and, and that exchange, I was cracking up. I was cracking up because watching my kids just even handle their own emotions and how they respond to the way they're feeling 
is hilarious at times. And I know that's a pretty dramatic, silly little story, but some of you are sitting here today and you're like, man, I can relate to that in some capacity of my life. My emotions at times can kind of take over. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're, and, and you're sitting next to your wife and, and don't raise your hand, but you would say, hey, JF, man, all I know is, man, my emotional health is two words, roller coaster, <laughs> right? Don't nudge your spouse, okay? But you know what I'm talking about. It's like, like, like it's all over the place. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. And we're going to look through the scriptures. In fact, I was thinking, kind of was going through my biblical Rolodex of, of characters throughout scripture that emotional health was an issue in their life. How, how many of you know that there's a lot of people throughout scripture who are just like you and just like me, who battled emotional health in very dramatic ways and and, and, and just stories and, and whatnot. So, and, and so I was thinking, about who was somebody that not only had a lot of pressure and dealt with their emotions, but did it in a very godly way and the outcome was in their favor? And, the, and, and like, it was like the light bulb went right on. And I thought of the man named Job. Job. Do you remember Job? If you don't, I'm going to tell part of his story today. And I, I want to unpack his story a little bit because today... I believe that there are life lessons in this story connected to your emotional health that if you apply them to your life, if we look at Job's life and how he dealt with this area of his life, if we take those lessons and apply them to our own lives, I believe you will be quite successful in this area of emotional health. In fact, it'll be better than where where you currently are. So let's go to the scriptures, Job chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if not, we've got a Bible in the sky right here. And you can look right up at the screens. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Scripture says, in the land of Uz. Don't you just wonder what Uz looks like? In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. So let me just stop right there. Um, So we know that he's a God-fearing man. He does the right thing. And he's got 10 kids. And I'm not going to get into all the details about his 10 kids, but the fact of the matter is his 10 kids were living on the wild side, if you will. In fact, Job was such a godly man. After these kids would throw their ragers, their parties, he would go in the morning the next day and almost repent to God in their behalf. He would bless their homes and say, God, I know they're, they're wacky and they're crazy, but please have mercy on them. This is the kind of, kind of father and, and man that he was. And so he was a God-fearing man. He shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And watch this. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. So the guy was loaded, okay? He was rich. doesn't stop there. It says, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So here he is. He's a God-fearing dude. He's loaded. He's rich. And he's powerful. Pretty nice little combination right there, yeah? So that's who this, per- this, is, this is who Job is. And the story goes on. And really, in this account of Job, we learn that the Lord is actually bragging on Job to who? Wait for it. Satan. Now, that's a whole other conversation for another time, all right? 
But scripture says, I mean, he's literally bragging to Satan about Job. And he's talking to Satan about how much Job honors him and puts his trust and confidence in God. And Satan's just not having it. So God says to him, okay, I can even prove it to you. I will, in fact, grant you access to Job, meaning you can have a go at him. You can attack him in any way, but you cannot kill him. And so Satan says, I'll take that offer. And so Satan leaves God's presence and he goes to work. And the story continues with Job having this dinner, this get-together. And while he's having this dinner, um, some messengers come and deliver news to him that pretty much, I think, is the worst news that anybody could get in one dinner. This is what the messengers come and say. The first messenger comes and says, I hate to, I regret to inform you, uh, Mr. Job, but uh, there's been some raids on your property and all of your livestock has either been stolen or they've been killed. So in that moment, his entire portfolio is wiped out. All of his assets gone, just like that. I think that would be enough to get pretty upset. But it didn't just stop right there. Another messenger came in. He said, uh, Mr. Job, I regret to inform you that there was this raid and, 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 and all your servants and all your staff have been murdered. So you're out of all of your assets, all of your money, all of your real estate, now your entire staff, everybody that was behind you is now dead. For me, I would be done at that point, right? That's the worst it can get. No, 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 it gets worse, JF. Another messenger comes in and says, Mr. Job, I regret to inform you that um, there was a mighty wind. Now, I don't know if this was a tornado or what it was, but the wind blew and all of your kids were under this roof of this house and, and, the, and the roof caved in and all your kids have been killed. So he loses all of his wealth. He loses all of his staff, loses all of his kids in one steak dinner. Gone, just like that. And I believe that the very first lesson that we can learn from Job in this area of emotional health is found in Job's response, okay? So all this happens to him. Look how he responds here. Verse 20 says this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in 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 in, in in rage? No, no, no. Look. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now watch. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Here's the first lesson. If you're taking notes, write this down. You want better emotional health in your life? Never let your emotions dictate your actions. This is, a, this is a big one. Never let your emotions dictate your actions. You want better emotional health? Then know that regardless of how real and how valid your feelings are, you still have 100% control over how you respond. You have power over your response. And your response to your emotions is what truly matters. Having, hear, hear me out, having emotions 
having outrageous emotions or, or feeling or, 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 or out of control feelings is never a sin. There's nowhere in scripture that says when you have feelings that are contrary to the feel goods, that that's a sin. No, no, no. It gets problematic in how you respond to the way you're feeling. It's your actions is what can, that can lead to destruction. And scripture is very clear here that Job is feeling so bad that he rips his clothes off and he gets the clippers out. Now, I wouldn't think to do that, but that's how he expressed it. Ah! You know, I mean, he was upset. But even in the moment of shaving his head, scripture says he did not sin against God. Now, for me, I could stop right there that little nugget right there just gives, brings me peace because I am an emotional guy and there's times in my life where I'll get feelings of, I don't know, anger or rage or even like um, uh, old feelings of bitterness towards people that hurt me and, and, and I'll go to this place where I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm like committing sin here. No, you're not. No, you're not. Those, those are feelings or emotions. It's when you act upon those feelings is when you, it gets you in, into a tight place. Does that, does that make sense? And so Job here has these outrageous emotions and feelings, and he does the right thing. He doesn't act on them. Now, did I say that this is easy? It's not easy, but it's very possible. And there's two ways that makes it possible, and there's two actions that you need to take for this, how you can control yourself in these moments. The first one is, it is a continual, say continual, infilling, say infilling, a continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. This isn't like a one-time thing where you come to an altar and someone touches your forehead and you fall down and you're, you're good to go. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a daily, when you rise like Paul did, Paul did every single day, Lord, I need a fresh touch from you. I need a fresh Holy Spirit touch in my life. I need an, a, a new, a renewal, a, a new true infilling of your Holy Spirit to get me through this day and then I'm going to wake up in the morning and ask you for another infilling. That's what I'm talking about. A continual infilling of the Holy Spirit and he will give it to you. And the second part of that is just simply practice. It's going to take a lot of practice in this area of response to the way you are feeling. And as you continually infill yourself with the Holy Spirit, what's taking place is he is inserting himself with his fruit in you. And a lot of us in this room know exactly what fruit I'm talking about. It's the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5. Paul pens it and he writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I've mentioned this before in different teachings that many theologians believe that it is in chronological order. Meaning you have to start with love and not love that you just all already automatically have. You have to have an encounter with the love of God. Once you get that encounter and you get his love inside of you, then, then and only then can you truly experience his joy. You're never going to get patience before you have joy and peace in your life. I'm just telling you. Don't try to go, don't try to latch on to self-control when you've never even experienced God's love in your life. Our, our society gets it so backwards. Our society says, you need to control yourself. Pull it together. 
and, 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 and like you haven't even experienced the love of God. And then we can't pull it together. We don't have any self-control. So to get the peace, we turn to the bottle and the pills and jumping in and out of the sack with different partners. Because we've mixed up the order. You cannot have real joy or peace until you've experienced his love in your life. Then and only then can you have real patience, forbearance, patience. Then, then and only then can you truly be faithful to your spouse. Hey, don't, don't break up. You should hang in there for your marriage, right? Well, it sure helps to experience true love so you can actually display that type of love in your marriage. I, I'm, I'm on a rabbit trail right now. But you hear what I'm saying? It's like that. This is, how, this is how this infilling works. And it's a beautiful thing. This also includes words. Look at this passage of scripture. This is poignant. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, those, those who consider themselves religious. Now stop right there. That word li- religious in our modern day has some negative connotations. But in the original uh, writings there, that word religious simply means following God. I don't know how else to put it, right? Those that are, that are, that are pursuing God. So, um, um, uh, so those who, that consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves. And their following of God is worthless. How many of you know there's power in our words? That, it, that, 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 that it's this, this, uh, this thing right here can literally bring life and death. That's what scripture says in the book of Proverbs, okay? So let's go back to this story here. So Satan comes before the Lord again, and the Lord, what does he do? He starts bragging on him once again, on Job. He's like, Job's, Job's my guy. Look at this scripture. It says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God, and he shuns evil. <clears throat> he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. So he says, says this to Satan a second time, and this makes Satan really upset, makes him really mad. And he starts, because that's what Satan does, giving excuses. He says, well, well if you'd, God, if you'd really let me have Adam, then I could really do some real destruction, but I just feel like you're not really letting me have a real go at him. God says, have, have a go at him. You cannot kill him. So the story goes on that Job's inflicted with these open sores all over his body, like some translations say boils, and they're festering, and, and he's, he's just mutilated his whole body, and, and it's just, it's terrible to the point where his wife is so fed up with it, he's down to like his last wingman, and she looks at him and says, you know what, Job, here's some great advice, you should curse God and die. Now, I don't know. I feel like that's not what I'd want to hear from my wife in that moment. But this is what she says. You are a mess. Just curse God. Cuss him out. And then just take your life. And the second lesson that we can take from Job's life in this, Ameri- uh, in this area of having better emotional health is in his response to his wife. Look at this. Now, I, now I'm going to read this, but husbands, I, I don't think this is a good idea to say what he, I'm about to read to your wife, okay? Now, if you get boils, okay, but this is, what, this is what Job said. He replied, 
you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, once again, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And the next lesson is, your emotions are a result of your thinking. Your emotions are a result of your thinking. So his wife makes this statement towards him, you need to curse God and die, the whole thing. He says, you're talking like a foolish woman. And that phrase, foolish woman, in the original language means woman with moral deficient thinking. Moral deficient thinking. He was saying, your perspective in all of this is wrong. You are so focused on this slice of our life, this circumstance, this situation, that you've thrown out all that God has done for us over the course of our entire lives. And let me tell you, I have fallen into this trap so many times as a follower of Jesus. God has done so many good things for me, and then all of a sudden something happens, and that's the only thing I focus on. I miss all the stuff, all the times he was there for me in the past, all the stuff that he's gotten me through, all the things that he's done in my marriage, all the things that he's done for my family, going four generations removed from me on either side of my family. The Lord has been there for me and my house. And one thing will go wrong, and that's the only thing that matters in my entire life. And I say, God, where are you at? Are you even out there? Are you going to do anything? Do you even hear me right now? And he says, do you not... Do you not see what I've done for you over your entire life, right? And this is exactly what happens here with Job's wife. She, she's missed it. She says, you know what? This is too overwhelming. Nah. And I'm not faulting her. I mean, I can't even imagine the devastation that this woman's faced. All her kids are killed by a, a roof that caved in. All the money's gone, Right? Country club, all that stuff. It's over. It's over. Black Amex card? Okay, I'll stop. Um, remember how much God has done for us. Choose to look at, look at all of it. And then we got to change the way we see it, the way we think about it. And once again, there's nowhere in Scripture that says that having emotions or feeling things is sinful. It's how we react and respond that can lead us into some difficult situations and our, our perspectives dictate our emotion, the way we see things. It goes in order. You've got to get your thinking right. Once you get your thinking right and your perspective in order, in place, then whatever emotion comes your way, you can go, ah, no, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not it. And then from there, you'll react. You'll react. And there, I, I know some I know some people that have mastered this. So the question is, what does it look like? How do we practice this in our own lives? Paul gives us clear instructions in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Look at this passage of Scripture. It says this on the screens right here. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, okay? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, so what does that mean, JF? How do, I, I need layman's terms here. What that means is 
The enemy loves to insert lies about you into your head. And as followers of Jesus, the very first step in this taking your thoughts captive is to recognize that what's in your mind, what you're hearing, does not line up with God's word. That, that, that what you're feeling and hearing and, and believing about yourself or a situation, if it doesn't align with the word of God for your life, it's a lie and you have to stop and just realize that. That's the first step. And so many people forget this step. They just, oh, this is happening right now. And, and it's like, well, wait, wait, wait. That, that is, that's not God's will for your life. Do you know what I mean? I, I, she's driving me nuts. I'm going to kill her. Well, that's, that does not align with God's word, all right? Oh, I feel this thing. Oh, it's cancer. I know it's cancer. That, that's what God, oh, I've got cancer. No, no, no. No, you, that, that is not, that is not the word of God for you. And you have to recognize that and take hold of that, right? So that's step one. Step two is to, in that moment, stop and then start a new discipline. And the new discipline is distracting yourself with words that do align with God's will. M- meaning, meaning there's specific things that God has spoken over you in his word. That's, there's certain things that is said about you that even right now, if you don't believe it, you can at least take that and begin the process of just simply distracting yourself. Man, greater is he that is within me than he that, that is within the world. Like, I don't even know what that means or I even believe it. But man, it's sure taken my mind off of my, my false cancer over here. You see what I'm saying? And there's hundreds all throughout scripture of God's word. That is the truth that will distract you from all of these lies. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, you have to take captive your thoughts but then make them bow down at the feet of Jesus. I mean, I'm telling you. And that's what he has specifically for you. Isaiah 41, fear not. Many of you know this verse. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Now, that, that is the word of God for you. So insert anything you're dealing with right now into that, and I'm telling you, it will work itself out through his word. So here's the thing. It's tricky. It's hard to try to control your emotions, but you can control your thinking and your emotions are a result of your thoughts. That's what it boils down to. As the band comes back, here's the third lesson that I want to leave you with. So the first one is, just to recap, never let your emotions dictate your actions. Second one was your emotions are a result of your thinking. And the last lesson for your emotional health that we can learn from the life of Job is what you prioritize will direct your emotions. What you prioritize will direct your emotions. This story goes on to say that Job is literally sitting in, in rags. He's covered in boils. He's lost everything. His wife 
makes the famous statement, you should curse God and die. So he's totally alone. And his, some of his best friends catch wind of this. And so with that, his friends, being the good friends that they were, travel to him. And the scripture says, you can read it. They arrive on the scene, and when they see Job, they literally sit down on the ground and stare at him without saying anything for seven days. Now think about this, okay? You're in the hospital with hives. I don't know, I'm making up a sickness or whatever. And your friends come in because they're going to come in with flowers and they walk in with flowers and you're covered in whatever, boils or hives and you're just like, you don't really really want them there anywhere because you kind of feel weird and awkward. And they walk in and they're just like, For seven days. I mean, I'm just. And after the end of day seven, they finally break their silence. I don't know if they, they had an epiphany or what happened. But after seven days, you'd kind of hope you're laying in the thing all, you know, that they would at least be like, man, we're sorry for staring at you for seven days and not saying anything. It was just overwhelming at first, but you're going to be okay, man. We love you and we'll stay here as long as you want. Uh, They go, yeah, we think your your wife's right. Yeah, uh, we think you should probably just curse God and die too. In fact, you know, you must have done something to really make God mad. I mean, you must have, I don't know if you're, I've, I've had a friend or two who I thought were with me say a statement like that before. Oh, yeah, well, you know, the way you've been living, I'm telling you, God's mad at you. That's why you got that cancer. That's why you lost that job. I mean, all that kind of stuff. That's what's happening right here. You must have really did something, Job. Now, in fact, it's those kids of yours. No, that, the other guy said that. Those kids, you know, the ones that God killed? Yeah, well, he's not done with you quite yet. He was so mad at them that he wants to take you out too. And in all of that stuff, at any moment, he could have been like, you know, Frank, I think you're right. Makes total sense now because none of this makes sense. Man, have you ever done that before? Someone gives you something that doesn't align with the word of God for your life and you go, yeah, you're probably right. I can never go back to that church for all nations. They'll never have me. I can never pick up the Bible again. I can, and the enemy just goes, ha, ha, yes. Got him. I got him. I got her. I got her. She'll never set foot in that place again. Right? But Job doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. In fact, you can read, it's like eight chapters of, of Job's back and forth with his friends. And he says some pretty stuff, pretty, pretty specific stuff in, in those eight chapters. But the one thing that he lands on is that I'm putting all of my trust, all of my confidence, all of my hope. This is JF's paraphrase. I am not turning my back on God until he takes me home he will have to personally take me out because I am not turning my back on him. And you know what God did in that moment? 
He smiled. He stuck it to Satan one more time. He said, man, I told you. You did everything you could. And there's someone sitting here today, and you're nodding and smiling with me because the enemy came after you so hard, took everything that you had, took your health, took your marriage, took your kids, took your wealth, took your influence. And for whatever reason, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, you didn't turn your back on God. And I want to prophesy over you and say that it's, all, it's coming back. It's coming back in some capacity. God is responding to you. He loves you. And things happen. Things happen for a very specific reason. And I believe he's making you stronger. And this over-the-top experience that this God, uh, man of God went through made him stronger. Scripture says that God gave it all back to him and more. In fact, he even gave him some new kids. How many of you want some new kids? Don't raise your hand. Um, but he gave it, he gave, he gave, he gave it. That, that, that's what our God does. If we just remain in him, he will remain in us. And just one last little nugget. Just thinking about how, how, was, how, was, how was Job able to go through that type of fire and come out, yeah, with a few burns, but not fried. I really believe it's in the very beginning of this story that we actually read. Chapter 1, verse 9. Look at this. This is pretty cool. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him? Underline that if you have a Bible. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? So Satan here believed the statements that he was making towards God. It was almost like a rhetorical question. He already knew the answer. He he was just saying it out loud. And here's what you need to know. In the original language, that phrase, put a hedge, put a hedge around him, actually translates better to an intermingling. Not just a hedge like this, but like a hedge like this. I mean, completely intermingled. And I truly believe that Job was able to overcome these circumstances because at the very beginning, he allowed the Holy Spirit of God to be intermingled, intertwined into every nook and cranny wrapped around every area of his life, his finances. God, you can take all my finances. You're my provider. My health, you can have it. I can sit over here in ashes with boils all over me, but you are my healer. Lord God, you can take my marriage, all that stuff. As long as you don't leave me, you have put a hedge of protection, not just around me and my family, but all intricately through all of it. And I truly believe it doesn't say this because Job doesn't, the story of Job doesn't start out this way. I truly believe, because this is just the way I think, that Job didn't receive all the wealth. He didn't receive the big family. He didn't receive the power and the influence and all the accolades until that process began. Before Job said, you know what? I'm going to set my priorities on the things of God 
before anything else because what you prioritize, get this, what you prioritize will direct your emotions. So if you put God up here, when something wacky comes your way, it can't throw you off. You'll get a little upset about it, but what will happen is you'll go, oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right, he's got me. He's got me, he loves me. This, and what happens is that problem goes away. On, we had our uh, first Wednesday, just on Wednesday, and I, and I use this illustration. So many times, this is what happens in our life. Big problem, tragedy, situation, overwhelming, you're over, it's not gonna work out for you. Big problem, little God. Here's God, little God. And what happens is as you begin to worship him, worship, worship him, worship him, worship him, put your eyes on him, turn to him, get your eyes off the problem. As you begin to praise him and give thanks for all that he's done for you outside of this problem, before all the things you've done, what happens is that little, that, 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 that little God now becomes big God and that big problem now is little because you prioritized him over everything else. And that's just how the kingdom works. That's how the kingdom works. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I've walked into a hospital room with a family and I'm, and I'm, and I'm seeing the chart. I'm seeing what they have and it's, it's dire. And, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the doctors are like, I don't know what else we can do, that kind of thing. And I've walked into those rooms and I can't tell you, the presence of God is there and there's peace, and there's sometimes even smiles, and there's rest, and every time, and I've done this a ton of times, we pray and I walk out of there and there's the anxiety levels aren't, aren't all through the roof. You know what that's about? It's about putting God here and the diagnosis here. It's about putting God here and your separation here. It's about putting God here putting everything else, the salvation of your children, right? You focus on him, you pray for that lost child, and I'm telling you, the fear of all of that, I wonder if he's ever gonna come back, da, 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 that, that'll, that'll go away because God will say to you in that moment, I've got her, don't you worry about her, I've got him, you just keep focused on me. And when you prioritize that, your, 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 that, that priority you make will affect your emotions. Ah, 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 are you with me? Does that make sense? Come on, across the side of Torian, will you just bow your heads? I just want to pray for you. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.